Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers. Today is by far the most important episode I will ever record. Why is that? Is it because I am sharing one of my favorite stories from Untold Mayhem? No. I am sharing a short story. Maybe, you know what? I'm going to give you two because I'm going to keep this kind of short. So I'll give you two short stories from here. The first trigger warning. It is a story I didn't know whether or not I should include in here. News first. It's about a shooting at a college. But is it a real fear? That's why I decided to include it. And the story after that, no triggers and maybe, but no, I think you're fine. That's taken out the trash. So those are at the end of the episode, just like every other week, playing either a short story or a chapter from a book, something like that. All right, so, but why is this the most important episode then? Is it because I want to talk about actually getting dirty today and doing a little bit of work outside, helping my friend take down his uh, porch? No, but that was fun. I was glad that I wanted to do it. I decided, I was like, yeah, I want to help him. If it takes two or three hours, whatever. It'll help him a lot. He's a good friend, so why not do it? And plus, it was destroying his patio. So I was like, I get to break shit. My son happened to be home, so I took him with me for a little bit. He got to see me get all dirty and actually work a little bit. I don't I do not do much of that, but it's kind of fun. So we got a lot of it done, and I'll go back there tomorrow. So even though that meant less writing time, whatever. It was cool. It was fun. It helped him a lot. He was grateful. So that's awesome. Good use of my time. But okay, so it wasn't that. What else could it have been? Could be because 10th Planet Whittier is about to open. I'm hoping to go see it tomorrow. I haven't been into the building yet. I talked to Mike Wilson. He's an awesome black belt. I'm excited to be training under him. My entire family will be there. Uh, yeah, but it's just going to be awesome. But he was talking about the recovery room they have, all the super cool stuff. So it's going to be great to train again, being around other adults. That'll be wonderful too. And it's going to be a place where I can heal myself and I believe probably be recording the podcast there. So that should be pretty awesome. That means I'll probably be having more guests on, probably a lot of jujitsu type stuff, maybe MMA stuff, maybe about MMA Well, I'll get into all that stuff later. So again, that was awesome. That got me motivated, excited. But no, that's not it either. That's not why it's the most important episode. Derek, you want to tell him? No, he doesn't. He doesn't want to talk. He doesn't like talking when I'm also on camera. I, I don't know why he's like that. He just gets all shy. If it's just him, he's got no problem talking. Or him and Yoga Bear. Yoga Bear never talks. Yoga Bear's quiet. But anyhow, he still gives me good advice. Although not always good advice. Today, he said, since it was my most important episode ever, this Yoga Bear told me this, that I should do it without a shirt on. Derek reminded him that no one wants to see 50-year-old titties on a man. So, yeah, that's why I went with Machine Head. And then Yoga Bear's like, dude, why are you wearing, one, a tank top? Everyone's seeing your tattoos. Derek's thought was, you know what? They're going to find out anyhow. They're eventually going to see you, and then they're going to judge you. and be like, what a scumbag. Why has he got all that ink on him? So I get it. <sighs> then Yoga Bear is all pissed off. He's like, well, why aren't you promoting you know, binaural beats. Why aren't you promoting like gentle meditation tracks and shit like that? You you appreciate that stuff. I was like, yeah, but I also love metal. And Try Not to Die at Death Fest is just about done. The cover should be out next week. Pre-orders are going to be up. 
which is very exciting. Is that the most important thing? No. The album being finished, our pretend album, that my friend McCor, who was on one of these episodes a long time ago, I think like 83, we're talking about metal. Yeah, his son's a genius. I gave him what we had already, like ideas for these songs. Because I had tried writing songs. I realized I was like, nope, can't do it. I'm not a musician. I cannot write lyrics. I thought it was going to be easy. I could write books. I could write short stories. I could do flash fiction, but I cannot do lyrics yet. But I also didn't want to keep trying and put off the book being done. So I was like, okay, let me find someone that is a really good musician. Music is his life. He's talented. So I brought him on. He gave me all the songs and they're pretty awesome. So that will be a separate little thing that I release after we release Try Not to Die at Death Fest. So there'll be a little attachment, a little CD booklet. Hopefully that music will be produced one day. Luke, who wrote all the songs, he has rights to the songs. He can do whatever he wants with them, record them, anything like that. They are his songs. I'm just using them in the book and in the, this pamphlet. So that was awesome. But again, not the most exciting thing. Ooh, Shrine has to die in the Wild West. That is up for pre-order. So that's pretty exciting. That comes out March 28th. So that one I did with John Palisano. I think he did an incredible job. Again, a really cool thing with these books is being able to go into these other authors' minds. Like, what do they want to write about? Being able to go into... Hold on, i got to pick this book up. Jesus Christ, look at this thing. It's like the size of my head and very heavy. It is awesome. So that's Ghostland, the Ghost Hunter edition by Duncan Ralston. Being able to do Try Not to Die at Ghostland, how awesome is that? I know I've talked a lot about it, so I won't get into it. But that is exciting. Caitlin Marceau, her book, Try Not to Die at Summer Camp, is going to be awesome. That, you know, not sure when that one is coming out, but that is going to be coming out soon-ish. We also have Try Not to Die in Dark Fairy Tale. Man, all these different books that are being produced, there are going to be over 20 in the series easily. I think I have 30 contracts, so it's going to happen. I'm invested. I'm doing it. So very exciting stuff. Still not the most important thing, I don't think. And Derek and Yoga Bear both agreed. Okay, so the most important thing is getting people to sign up for my newsletter. I know you're fucking disappointed. You're like, oh, dude, I'm already on your newsletter. Kind of sucks. Hey, that's going to change. I think it's pretty good <laughs> considering that I do it Friday morning right after rushing the podcast and trying to write something really quick and getting the kids to school fed, all that kind of stuff. So got to give myself some credit. <sighs> but it has been taken up a notch. It's much improved. My old welcome series has been replaced. It used to be five different emails that I had to walk everyone through. The goal of it was to weed out all the people that wouldn't like me, wouldn't like my writing, just not a good fit. But I was like, okay, they read these things and they get through it. They get my sense of humor. They get kind of where I'm at, what I'm about, what I care about. Then that's awesome. So that was the goal of it. But I just had it redone. Very excited about it. And now it is 10 emails. So you guys have to double but it's a great way to get all my stuff or a lot of my stuff for free too so you can start out with morsels of mayhem go to marchulius.com that's where you can probably find it the easiest sign up for the newsletter you can get the book morsels of mayhem that's three short horror stories and one piece of non-fiction about my traumatic brain injuries and TBI or CTE, the book I wrote about my three-year journey trying to fix my very damaged brain. 
which I'm still trying to do. So that's a good little test to see whether or not you like my writing, right? So some of my horror fiction and some of my nonfiction. Then a couple emails later, I think it gives you Brightside, which you can go pick up right now. You don't need the newsletter for that. But you can get Brightside for free. I keep that free permanently. That's a great way to sucker people in, just trying to lay this trap, get you guys in there, and then you're always going to read my stuff. Or you're going to read the first page and be like, this sucks. I don't like this at all. That's actually the line I use to catch many readers at fairs. I started it with Brightside. That was my first book. And then that's generally the book I'll throw at people and say, hey, read the first paragraph. You'll know whether or not we're a good fit. Like, if you don't like that, you probably won't like my other writing. And Brightside telepathy is illegal. People are killing thought thieves, telepaths, and the government is also rounding them up as a way to kind of protect him, but also isolate him. They send him to the beautiful town of Brightside, but it's his 100th day there, and Joe cannot take it anymore. So it's about him trying to escape. What else do we got after that? I think you can get Summer Strolls always for free. That's another five horror stories. That's not connected to the newsletter, but go and pick that up. Let me know what you think. If you like that, you like my other stuff, like Twisted Reunion, Untold Mayhem, which you'll hear the stories from later. Also with a newsletter, it's going to alert you to contests like the brand new one I just launched. So this one, the grand prize is a 12 month Spotify premium subscription. So that's 99 bucks. This is open worldwide. The other 99 prizes are your choice of one of my audiobooks. So I think I have 14 audiobooks up on Spotify. You got to choose one of those. I send you the code and you can check it out for free. So excited about that. That's pretty cool. Find out that stuff through my newsletter. What else is in the newsletter? You can find out about my brain, how messed up it was, how I've kind of repaired it, how I'm still going through that. I think it's important to see other people struggle, but then also get through it. And shit, who knows when or if I will go through another depression, rage-filled episode, whatever. I've been handling stress so much better. I feel way more like myself, way happier. Hopefully that will continue. But if it doesn't, if I have another slip, then I will share that as well and be like, hey, yeah, this shit is serious. I shared the images of my brain today on social media, just showing the, the damage that is still there, explaining some of my issues. So let's see what else is in this newsletter. What else will you get from it? That's right. Trennis and I in Brightside, which just got a brand new cover. I just haven't updated it yet. Print book's going to be a while to update, but I'll update the ebook very soon. It is on sale starting today through the 13th. So you can check that out for 99 cents instead of $3.99. Wow. Save $3. But do it. I think it's a lot of fun. I wrote that with Donna Gonzalez, good friend of mine, 10th Planet Black Belt. In Try Not to Die in Brightside, Becky, 16-year-old telepath. She hasn't been in Brightside very long, but long enough to know that it sucks. Her brother's there. He does not want any part of the escape that is about to take place. But Becky has been threatened first thing in the morning that she's going to be killed. Things are getting nuts. So read about it and try not to die every couple of pages. You have to choose what happens. If you choose wrong, you die. So there's only one way through it, but a whole bunch of ways to die. I actually made myself a little bit sick this week. Maybe it was because I was in the sauna. Maybe I smoked too much cannabis. I doubt that. But maybe it's a combination. But I doubt that too. I don't know. So anything, maybe I was dehydrated or something. But I was also working on trying to die at Ghostland on some of these death scenes. Super disgusting. So <laughs> I made myself sick. I thought, not like sick sick, but I definitely didn't feel well. And I had to 
go outside on the yoga mat and just lay there for a little bit in child's pose, just breathe. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. So I still have that image. I'm not going to tell you what it is, though. One, I have to wait till Duncan Rousen twists it and makes it much worse. Then we will let you read it in the book. And then you could just be grossed out as much as we probably are. But you're welcome. So see, see the pains we go through? I'm not sure if Duncan goes through those same pains. He may be a heartless bastard and just like just cruel. And I don't know. He did write womb. So there's that. And gross out. That was pretty disgusting too. Dude's got issues. But I also really enjoy his writing. And if you have not checked out Duncan's writing and you are not ready for extreme horror, I suggest, and it's on my Amazon page, my recommendation is The Midwives. That is his novel that attracted me to his writing. That is the first thing I read of his. I was really impressed with it. So check that out too. I'm going to get off of here and realize like, God damn it, I had so much other good shit to talk about. So much other stuff I'm excited about. Germany's awesome. I've been practicing with my daughter in the car. She's starting to learn out. She said it's because of her friend. I have a feeling that might have something to do with her going with me to Germany in October. We're going to Frankfurt for the book festival. That's going to be awesome. I just registered for my booth and I got approved in the German hall, which is really cool. So I'm going to be working on my German. It's going to be awesome to have her to speak with. My German is nowhere near where it needs to be to have conversations with people, but it will be in six months. I promise. Promise I will try. So it might still suck. And maybe I'll lose interest next week. Who knows? Or maybe I'll be dead. There's always that. That's what I usually come to. Whenever I'm thinking about anything that might happen, like, eh, probably be dead. <laughs> My wife and I were talking about retirement. And I was like, eh, you know, the chances of one of us dying before that, like, that's pretty legitimate. You know, accidents happen. You never know. I'm not saying I'm going to do anything to hurt. That is not what I'm saying at all. Derek will not touch her. Made him promise. Yoga bear for sure. Don't have to worry about him. I'm just saying, accidents happen. People die. You never know. So why worry about that kind of shit? I'm just, like, I know eventually, unless I'm just killed like that, I will have grief. I will have suffering. I will go through all this pain or whatever. But I'm not going to worry about that shit until it happens because that is a waste of time. I'm going to try not to. I'm going to try to, if I ever start feeling that way, then I try to reframe it or whatever. But who gives a shit what I do, right? You figure yourself out. I will share my tips every once in a while. Maybe it helps. Maybe it doesn't. But now you have the choice on whether or not you want to try it. That's why I tell my son. He's like, do you want to make a good choice or a bad choice? Like, it's on you. I don't care. Like, I'm not going to force you to make any choices. Okay. Damn. I almost forgot one of the most important reasons why this is one of the most important episodes or the most important episodes. And the reason for the newsletter is to find people that I want to connect with. Someone, and this is, I've connected with a lot of people through the old newsletter, the, just the five one. Hopefully the 10 email one will work just as well. I'm going to be running a lot more people through it. I want to get as many readers as possible reading my stuff. I want to share my writing. I want people to enjoy my writing. That's why I do it. With my nonfiction, I want people to learn about traumatic brain injuries. I want them to have hope and not think that for sure they're doomed with CTE. But also think about, okay, well, what could I be doing? What should I be doing to prevent this stuff, to prevent dementia? You know, so, and should I have my kids in contact sports? If they're under 14, should they be playing football, tackle football? You know, stuff like that. I'll share my thoughts on that kind of stuff. I want to warn people, help people 
uh, yeah, I'm just a sweet, loving guy. Happens to have tattoos and a demon next to me. But that's another story. The reason I want to get so many readers is because I want to be rich, motherfuckers. No, I'm joking. I don't care about the money. The money would be awesome because I'll be able to do more stuff for my family, for friends, for charities, for whatever. Or to buy more drugs. There's always that too. But I understand that financial success isn't going to make me any happier. I'm okay with that. Anything is just going to be for my ego. You know, I have everything I need. I'm incredibly grateful. So that's not the reason I want it. That's like a cool little benefit. If I have those many subscribers, they're going to be reading my stuff. They're going to be buying my stuff. They're going to be telling their friends. That would be amazing. I want to have these connections. There's so many cool people out there. I appreciate all the people that review my books. Emily, she writes to me. She's always reviewing books. I have so many friends that have been doing that for a long time. And I'll call them friends, not like their friends. And I've asked them to review my book and leave five star ratings. I'm saying they're friends because we've connected through these emails, social media, that stuff those kinds of friends but still people that like i am i'm super grateful for my readers that's awesome anytime anyone wants to read my stuff that's great that's cool there's so much stuff out there to read anytime someone wants to take the time to listen to me talk on a podcast or my videos on social media that's awesome if they want to read my newsletter and i know how hard it is that like you have so many emails so little time someone's going to take the time to read my newsletter man that makes me feel great and then if someone writes to me and share stuff with me. You have to go too personal. I'm not talking about that kind of sharing. Definitely no photos. But anyhow, if we have some cool back and forth, then that's even cooler. So get on my newsletter. Send your friends to my newsletter. That's all on marktulius.com. Easy enough to find, right? There aren't too many Mark Tuliuses. There is a Marco Tullius in Germany. He's a badass musician. And we're kind of related. And I saw him the last time I was there. And I'll probably see him this time because... Yeah, Cool dude. And awesome guitarist. And my daughter is learning guitar. So how cool is that? That I will be able to take her to have a lesson with him probably. If he's still in the area. But we'll figure that shit out. That's like six months from now. Anyhow, you don't have to worry about that. All you have to worry about is whether or not you want to listen to this next short story. Again, trigger warning deals with a shooting at a college. So perhaps you want to skip it. I will not be offended. Trust me. I don't want people listening to shit that they don't want to. I don't like watching violence. I don't like watching people getting hurt. It's not what I want. So I'm not trying to trick you guys. That's what this one's about. This is News First, narrated by a person down below. I didn't look up their names. And then we have, what was the other short story I told you? This is a test. This is me also trying to remember after having a little bit too much cannabis and not writing it down on my piece of paper. The book's all the way over there. I guess I could reach over for it. Hold on. All right. So we got, can't believe you didn't tell me. All right. Taking out the trash. That is a safe one. You can go ahead and skip to that one. So hope you guys like the stories or the story. Maybe you don't even want to hear one. Maybe you're not into horror. That's cool too. All right, guys. Have an incredible week. I will talk to you later. Peace. News first. 100 yards south of the library's entrance, hiding safely behind a large brick dormitory, Nick trained his camera on the woman he'd had a crush on for the past year. Good afternoon. This is Amanda Harrington with Channel 6 News. 
We are first on the grisly scene here in Providence, Rhode Island, on typically tranquil College Hill. Ghastly images of the Virginia Tech massacre flash through my mind as I try to comprehend what I'm seeing. Reminiscent of the 1966 University of Texas Towers shooting, a madman barricaded himself on top of Brown University's 16-story sciences library and started firing indiscriminately on the innocent below. In the last five minutes, he has killed 17 and wounded well over two dozen. Amanda did a little shake of her head, tossing her long blonde hair over her shoulder. Police are trying desperately to cordon off and evacuate a six-block radius around the library, which stands at the corner of Thayer and Waterman Streets. They are seriously undermanned for such a large endeavor and are anxiously awaiting reinforcements from state troopers. Stay clear of this area at all costs. Those of you in the area should evacuate if you can do so. If not, find shelter in your basements. The gunman is on one of the tallest buildings in the city and has a tremendous view. Reports indicate that he has launched at least one grenade along with his barrage of bullets. Stay tuned. We'll be right back as soon as we get an update. Nick lowered his camera and flashed a smile. The shapely reporter with the sculpted cheekbones, smooth skin, and luscious lips was even more beautiful than she was behind the viewfinder. That was great. Amanda pulled a small compact out of her jacket and flipped it open. It was, wasn't it? We lucked out on this one. I was dreading doing that story on the football team, but it looks like it turned out for the best. Damn right it did. Know what this means? We're talking at least one journalism award. This is my ticket to the big time. I'll be seen all around the nation tonight. They'll be showing me on every station, and before you know it, I'll finally be out of this crappy state. You'll be taking me with you, right? We'll see. Can't promise you anything. She checked her phone. Any word on who this nutcase is? Have the choppers gotten a look at him yet? They won't send in our helicopter team while he's still up there shooting. Thick lines creased her forehead. Those spineless bastards. We need footage of this guy. Video of me standing in front of a brick wall won't cut it. But the police won't even fly in yet. Then they're even worse. They get paid to put their life on the line. Gunshots shattered the silence. Nick and Amanda threw themselves against the wall, even though they were out of harm's way. When the ten-second hailstorm of bullets stopped, Nick straightened up and snuck a peek around the corner. That dude's got some heavy-duty equipment up there. That wasn't your average rifle. Amanda dusted off her short skirt. Well, what is it? I need details. I don't know. Uh, some kind of machine gun, I guess. Amanda pulled out her phone and called their boss, Jonathan. Send in the chopper, she said. I need footage now. No other channels are here yet, but they will be soon. Although Amanda was incredibly beautiful, Nick also admired her intensity and dedication to her job. All their co-workers labeled her the Ice Queen, but if she had been a man, they'd only have praise for her. 
I don't care, she said into the phone. Then get a cameraman on the roof of one of the surrounding buildings. Putting a co-worker in the line of fire, however, was going past dedication. Nick considered telling her that, but judging by the disgusted look on her face, Jonathan just had. Give me something to go back on the air with. What's he shooting? Who the hell is he? Give me something interesting about the victims. Amanda listened and jotted down some notes, then tucked away her phone. All right, Nick, let's do another quick piece. I want to do as many as possible before the hawks swoop in. Let's give the other channels something to choose from. Nick hoisted his camera back onto his shoulder. Ready when you are. Amanda magically transformed into her sympathetic television personality. Amanda Harrington here for Channel 6 News, where we bring you news first. We're here at Brown University as the developing tragedy unfolds. Dozens are dead or dying as the murderous madman, barricaded on top of the 16-story library, continues to fire down upon the unfortunate innocent below. Police confirm that this Ivy League assassin is shooting high-caliber rounds from a machine gun at an alarming rate. No one in the area is safe. He has even fired at police helicopters. Once we're able to, we will bring you footage from our own Channel 6 chopper. We'll be right back with more gruesome details. Amanda turned to the group of students who had gathered to watch the taping. Any of you got any idea who's up there? Two girls pushed their red-headed friend forward. The round-faced, teary-eyed girl trembled as her friends retreated into the crowd. The girl's voice cracked. I think it's my boyfriend. Amanda rushed over and waved for Nick to film. Sounding concerned, she asked, Your boyfriend is the one shooting everybody? Are you sure? My ex-boyfriend... He dumped me last night. Nick could tell that Amanda was trying not to get upset with the dumpy girl. Are you positive that it's your ex-boyfriend? Not 100%, but I'm almost certain. Why do you think it's him? He joked about doing something like this. When? A long time ago. Maybe a year. That doesn't necessarily make him the gunman. All his schoolwork was about violent stuff. For his sociology class, he wrote about Kent State, Columbine, the Texas Tower shooting, and all kinds of crap. Is that it? Amanda asked impatiently. No. He hated this place. He hated everyone. The students, the professors, the coaches, everyone. Have you seen him today? The girl shook her head. Last night, he said that he never wanted to see me again. What's his name? Brandon. Last name? Nick focused on the girl. Amanda wouldn't want her viewers seeing this side of her. Oh, it's Tefflinger. Do you happen to have a picture of him? The girl handed over her phone, which displayed a photo of the couple at their Christmas formal. Nick zoomed in on the picture. The smiling young man in the tuxedo, 
didn't look like a killer. Does Brandon own any guns? I know he had a handgun back home. Nothing else that I knew of, though. Did he have any means of acquiring a weapon like the one the guy up there is using? His buddy, Ken. He works over in New Jersey at the Picatinny Arsenal Army Base. Brandon might have stopped by there when he went to visit his parents in New York last weekend. They needed proof before she went on air. Amanda held up the phone and asked the distraught co-ed, Does Brandon still look like this? Yeah. Except he's got a goatee now. Amanda nodded. Run, and bring me all of his friends. Hurry! His life might depend on it. Once the girl and her friends were gone, Amanda was back on the phone with Jonathan. I know who he is, but I need you to verify it through the police. White male, early 20s, bald head, goatee, around 6'1". Name is Brandon Tafflinger. Police need to contact a person named Ken that works at Picatinny Arsenal Army Base in New Jersey. I don't have a last name for the guy, but I'm assuming he'll be 20 or 21. He's probably the one that distributed these weapons. Find out everything you can about Tafflinger and the weapons, and call me back once everything is verified. Jonathan's voice came over the earpieces that Nick and Amanda were both wearing. From now on, I'll pass the info right over the wire in case you're filming. You're doing a hell of a job down there, Amanda. I'll let you know as soon as I get something back. The next 45 minutes were a blur. They had several conversations with Brandon's closest acquaintances, a couple of calls from Jonathan, and two more ferocious assaults from the rooftop. Finally... Amanda was ready to go back on the air. After a quick rehash of facts, Amanda said, In the last few minutes, the gunman fired grenades through the windows of the computer center, killing over 56 students that were hiding inside. He also blew up a police helicopter, killing three Providence police officers in the process. The death toll has risen past 70, with as many seriously wounded, some bleeding to death, because the gunman fires on anyone who tries to drag them to safety. I, Amanda Harrington, unraveled who this psychopath is. Channel 6 will exclusively share it with you, the American public. The killer is none other than Brown University's student, Brandon Tafflinger, 21 years old, senior, sociology major, Caucasian male, born and raised in a small town in upstate New York. It appears that Brandon's grades have been getting progressively worse each semester. As a freshman, he had a 4.0 GPA, and just recently he was informed that this would be his last semester at the school due to poor grades. One reason for the declining grades could be his serious gambling problem. Over the course of the last two years, Brandon suffered incredible internet gambling losses. He incurred such a serious debt, nearly $30,000, that he knew he would never be able to get out of the financial hole. To make matters worse, he just lost his starting position as the varsity football team's tight end to a freshman. My staff uncovered that Brandon withdrew over $12,000 in cash from his bank over the last two weeks and maxed out all of his credit cards. His bank accounts are now empty, and we believe he spent the money purchasing stolen merchandise from a friend who works at a New Jersey Army base. 
Authorities have already apprehended this individual, and we should find out shortly just how deadly Taflinger's arsenal is. You must be able to hear that in the background, Amanda shouted at the camera, as gunshots and explosions rocked the muggy mid-afternoon. We don't have footage, but let me tell you, it is absolute chaos out here with the police returning fire on him. The shooting ceased, and Amanda held up a finger to the camera as she received a report. Tafflinger is wearing full body armor. The police sharpshooters were on target, but their bullets were deflected. Amanda held up her finger again and listened to the conversation buzzing through her earpiece. Excitedly, she reported, Tafflinger is standing on the ledge with his back to us. He's not holding any weapons. Amanda ripped her earpiece out and bolted around the corner. Don't stop filming, Nick. Come on, let's go. Nick shouted, Amanda, come back. It's not safe. She wasn't going to stop, so he jogged after her, camera rolling. A university policeman crouching behind a tree 50 yards from the library entrance grabbed Amanda and pulled her behind the tree despite her loud protests. Now that she was safe, Nick zoomed in on the man on the ledge. The man did have on full body armor, but because the assailant had pulled off his face mask and helmet, Nick could see it was the kid from the picture. The report was wrong. The kid actually was holding a gun, but the police hadn't seen the forty-five because it was close against his chest, pointed directly at his chin. Nick kept the camera rolling as the 21-year-old nonchalantly pulled the trigger, a fountain of blood and brain erupting from the top of his skull. The force of the shot sent his body toward the edge of the roof, where it rocked briefly before plummeting toward the pavement. Tafflinger had some sort of safety cable wrapped around his neck. Tafflinger tumbled through the air as the cable spooled out behind him. Nick filmed the fall and gasped when the kid reached the halfway mark and the cable went taut, instantly severing the young man's bloodied head from his body. Nick followed the body to the ground where it landed with a thunderous thud. A split second later, the decapitated head splattered on the concrete, bursting like a rotten tomato. Nick lowered his camera and threw up his breakfast on the lawn. Amanda pulled free from the officer and was running toward the library's entrance. Film this, Nick. It's my story. Film it all. She kicked off her high heels and ran toward the headless body that lay 40 yards away. Nick wiped the vomit from his lips and resumed filming. As Amanda ran up the library's steps, Jonathan rattled off the purchases that Brandon had made from his army buddy. Nick dropped the camera, which fell to the pavement and shattered, and cupped his hands around his mouth megaphone style. Amanda, come back! Get away from there! Amanda ignored him. She was going to be the only reporter to get this close to the deceased. Her beautiful face would be on every news channel in every state, before the night was over. The sight of blood didn't bother her, 
but the bloody heap that used to be the boy's head was a little much, even for her. She took her eyes from the slushy mess and looked at the body, a river of blood cascading out of his neck. The body armor and bulky clothing had kept everything in place, but she couldn't understand why there was smoke coming from the chest. Amanda held the mic up to her mouth and turned toward Nick. Infuriated, he wasn't filming her. The camera was lying on the street and appeared to be broken. Before she chewed him out, she waited for him to finish his little rant. Speaking out loud to herself, she asked, What the hell does ten pounds of C4 mean? The blasting fuse ignited the ten-pound bag of C4 plastic explosives that was strapped around Brandon's midsection, sending a bone-shaking shockwave all the way to the bottom of the hill. Tiny bits of flesh and bone fragments were blown across the campus in a hundred-yard radius, splattering against cars, smashing into walls, flying into trees. Amanda's death made a great story for all those reporters that had wisely stayed behind the yellow police tape a mile back, fulfilling her wish to be all over the nation's news that night. Taking out the trash. The bus pulls up to the curb. The door opens, and a fiery blast of late afternoon August air swooshes in. I hold the rail going down the stairs. Larry waits until I'm on the sidewalk before he says, Tell your dad I said hi. It's the same thing he says every time I get off at my stop. I reply same as I always do. You got it. I don't feel bad about lying because dad would just make fun of Larry, call him a fucking loser, a lousy bus driver, a joke. And then he'd look right at me and shake his head. Larry could tell Dad himself. I'm not saying a word to Dad, at least not before I take out the trash. That's been my job since I was seven. It's pretty much the only thing I'm good at. There are 59 steps from the bus stop to the corner, 32 steps across the street, 244 steps to the high school I couldn't finish. So close, it is Dad's favorite reminder I'm a failure. It takes 32 more steps to cross again, the sweat soaking the back of my coveralls and running down my crack. 142 to the house I grew up in. It's a quiet street, most everyone in their 60s and 70s. The house is just as old and run down. Dad's is the worst, the same faded yellow peeling paint we'd had back before Mom left us 40 years ago. Dad's rusty red pickup is parked in front of the house, the blue recycling can next to the driveway. No one else has cans out yet, and the rule is not to leave them sitting 24 hours. But I put it there last night after I said goodbye to my old man. As usual, the can is nearly empty. Dad's not about to give away his Budweiser cans. It only contains pink and blue notification letters and white envelopes, nearly every one of them torn in half. Dad said all those citations and notices were bullshit. He owned the land, and he would do whatever the hell he felt fit. 
the city managers could go fuck themselves because they'd never see a penny. The baggie I pull from my pocket is only half full, and there is a wet stain down the side of my pants. I almost scream at myself, but I don't need that kind of attention. Plus, it's not a big deal. Nothing matters but the present. Take a breath and do your job, you big dummy. I squeeze the pink cherry-scented soap from the baggie and shake it onto the papers lining the bottom. A big splooge fest, as Mikey would have called it. I toss the baggie in and close the lid. The driveway is gravel, eight steps across and twenty-eight more steps to the chest-high gate that's always unlocked. It's another fifty-four steps to the tarnished metal trash can that sits five steps from the neighbor's wall on its little pad of concrete. The thirty-two-gallon trash can is a heavy-duty monster that's been banged to hell. The first time I took out the trash, I wasn't supposed to. It was Mikey's job, but he'd just run away. Everyone said I was too little, but I knew I could do it. Back then the trash can was taller than me. Now I can rest my belly on it, but not today, with maggots crawling everywhere. In the summer months, maggots are always a problem, especially with the mangled lid that doesn't close right and the holes in the bottom. I fumble for the matchbook I got from Joe in a trade for one ding-dong. The logo for 99 bottles is on the cover, his father's liquor store. One of the other fifth graders felt bad for me, said I could just walk in there myself and take the matches for free. I told him I don't like going in stores, especially nice ones. Plus, like Dad says, nothing ever comes free. Everything has a price. There are twenty matches. Each burns about six seconds. Judging by the huge swarm of maggots at the bottom of the can, today could be a record-breaker. I never told anyone what I used to do, but Dad told everyone. Said I was a sick fuck for sucking the squished maggots off my thumb. No wonder Mom killed herself, he said. The thumb-sucking isn't why I squish them. I do it for the pop to see how far the guts will go. The sucking was just me cleaning up. I'm a pro with matches, and spark one on with my thumbnail. Seven maggots shrivel in a row, five more scorched. Next match is lit, and the maggots are fleeing. Nine more melt on the lid, two burned off the handle. After two more matches, my score is 23, and I've cleared the whole area. Down below is where the numbers really add up. Nowhere for the maggots to run with my big boots blocking them. Twelve, ten, twelve, fifteen, eleven. The number keeps stacking, flecks of black dotting the ground. Thirteen, twelve, nine, two because of the wind. Zero on a dud match. Hmm. I feel like a dragon scorching the land with my final five matches, the number of casualties rising past my previous record. I take a burnt tip and write 203 inside the cover, then slip it into my pocket. Good luck to anyone trying to figure out if it's a clue. Most people are surprised I can do numbers so good. I like numbers.
I understand them way better than I understand people. I was ten when I started thinking of trash days as numbers. I realized there were only going to be a certain number. Trash days only came once a week, 52 times a year. Of course, there's no knowing how short that number will be. My only friend, Jeffrey Steinbach, probably thought he'd have at least 3,000 trash days. But he got cut down crossing the street when I reached number 37. Mom's number stopped before mine began, and Mikey's ended when I was 13, thanks to a bad batch of dope. I used to think I wanted my number to go on forever, but 25 years as a custodian has given me my fill. This is it. I assume the position, feet facing the can, because I've bitten and bloodied the back of my ankles too many times, both hands on the only remaining handle. I lift, pull, the back end scraping across the concrete, digging deep into the gravel. If Dad were watching, he'd yell for me to, Use the dolly! Don't ruin his goddamn driveway! I glance up at the house. Every curtain is closed. Dad's not seeing shit. So I pick up, pull, set down. Pick up, pull, set down. I get a couple of feet with each heave. I take a break. Much as I hate to admit it, the chemo is kicking my butt. I never told Dad. Didn't want to see his smile or hear his, Told you so! Four heaves, and I need another rest. The metal digging into my calluses, my palms purple. The one time I asked about using gloves, Dad said if I was going to be such a girl about it, I could dig some of Alice's tampons out of the trash and reuse them. But he was right. It made me tougher. I can handle a little pain. I can handle the weight. This day, I'll show him I'm every bit the man he claims I'm not. I make it five more heaves before I cough up a huge glob of nastiness and hawk it into the bushes. Seven more heaves, and I'm past the gate. I go to close it and see Fiddles lying on his side underneath the barbed bush. I say, Fiddles! But he's stiff as a board. He must have got into the poison. But that's okay. There's room. I raise the lid, and it smells like holy hell. I apologize to Fiddles and drop him in. Get the lid on tight as I can. The gate latches, and I go back to the can. Heave ho, heave ho, off to the curb we go. Well, really only six or seven feet. A few more tugs, and we'll be there. Every one of the 1,611 times I've taken out the trash, I've done it the same way, both cans nice and neat against the curb. But not today. This one can stay right here in the middle of the driveway. It's too heavy to be tipped over, and I'm the only person who ever visits Dad anyway. My hands ache, and my breathing's strained, but I'm happy. I'm finished. 
I did a good job, and I did it all by myself. Unable to resist, I raised the lid, moved fiddles to the side, oh, gag at the mess of maggots pouring in and out of Dad's mouth. I search my brain for something smart to say. I hawk up another loogie and spit on his face. You're right, I tell him. We all pay a price. The lid drops, and I go over and open the recycling bin, breathe in the cherry soap. Of the eight other houses on the block, only three driveways have cars in them. No one cares about the retard taking out the trash. Before I chicken out, I pull the slimy razor blade from my pocket, realize I should have put it in the pocket without soap. Last night, I cut a slit in my pants over the vein they say is the best to hit. I slip the razor in place and drag it up the inside of my thigh, ignore the burn, and then etch a smile across my wrist. I lean as far as possible into the trash can, then drop inside, my face pressed into the gooey papers. It doesn't hurt much. Getting lightheaded as my blood oozes all around me. 1,612 is in the books. But we all end up at zero.